This is the Monday night session from the CB Northwest 2017 Annual Enrichment Conference, Beholding the Glory of God in All. Speaker George Verwer from General Session 1. Well, thank you so much. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service or worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for thrusting that young woman out to Mexico, to Germany and Mexico so many years ago. And we thank you that by your Holy Spirit, from our biblical churches here in North America, you have thrust out tens of thousands in this past hundred years. And we're in the midst of the greatest harvest of people to yourself the world has ever known. We thank you and celebrate what you're doing, especially in China, what you're doing in Iran and Algeria and India, what you're doing, Lord, in so many different parts of the world. And Lord, I celebrate as I went through this uh, program that we've been given. I celebrate all these churches that are represented in this conference right now. I give you thanks for those who pioneered this movement here in the Northwest and other parts of the country. We're filled with thanksgiving because the harvest is so great. Bless us, bless us, strengthen us as we look into your word and as we trust you for greater things. Lord, I just know you're, you're using probably everybody that's in this auditorium, but Lord, my prayer also for myself Use them more, Lord. Use each one of us more as we increase in wisdom and discernment and a greater reality of your Holy Spirit. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. As we meet here in a fairly comfortable situation, including myself, we're in a world of a lot of suffering. The last email I read before I came over was from a friend in Ethiopia where there's been some kind of horrible landslide in a rubbish area and many, many children and parents have lost their lives. The suffering right now in northern Nigeria is as great as anything in the history almost of the church with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Christians martyred, sometimes slaughtered, even sitting in their own churches. What can we say of southern Sudan, Syria, Afghanistan? There's dozens of places where the level of suffering uh, seems to be off the charts. And yet in the midst of it, this great harvest continues to the Lord Jesus. I was deeply moved through this, uh, this book that I was given as I arrived and just saw the number of churches here in the Northwest. If you've spent your life, as I have, with my main focus, the Muslim world, and the number of churches we have after 50, 60 years of labor, and then see uh, the number of churches just here in the northwest of this country, it's quite uh, overwhelming. And I just thank the Lord for each one of you. I have a great fanatical commitment to the local church. I've spoken in thousands of local churches. I've interviewed over 1,000 pastors 
and listened to their story and prayed with them, especially in Great Britain where I live and Europe where I minister almost every nation. But I ended up living in India for some years and Nepal for some years and then on a ship going from nation to nation. So I've had the privilege of exposure to so many men and women in similar ministry to you. And I honor you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I just believe with all my heart, he wants to bless you. I'd like to open our time together by looking at Psalm 67. Psalm 67. I try to read the Psalms every day. I try to read the Proverbs every day. And I just thank the Lord for his holy word. And my heart is so full and I'm so thrilled that I've got more than one or two sessions. Often in my ministry, uh, especially I'm there on the Lord's Day on Sunday, and I get two sessions. I had two meetings in Portland yesterday, but I've got four or five opportunities uh, to uh, share my heart, which is so full. Uh, let's start with Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us. Can we pray that prayer in our hearts? I think so. And make his face shine on us. There's no doubt of that, especially when we're also indwelt by his Holy Spirit. So that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the people praise you, God. May all the people praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the people praise you, God. May all the people praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Without exaggeration, I have approximately 100,000 people who follow me in prayer. Probably because I'm so old and have preached in so many places. But India being my first love and... 500,000 copies of my books have gone out in India. Uh, I have a lot of Indians uh, praying for me. And I just believe God wants to somehow bless each one of you during these three days. I have no confidence in myself, but I have confidence in the living God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There's so many scriptures that I hope we can look at in these days. But I hope I can get a lot more time than these three days with you by persuading you to take uh, some of our books. This, without question, will be the most unusual book table you will see in your lifetime. And if you ever find one bigger than this with more free books, you can email me and you'll get some kind of uh, gift. We want every one of you to grab one of the boxes. Mike is with me. Mike is from Germany. He's my helper. He's set up all these books. Um, one of the tables, the nearest table, those books are free. We do not want any money for those books. We want you to learn how to receive. You know, in my ministry, I'm quite regularly given gifts, especially in Korea, that I really don't want, and I don't really have room in my suitcase, but I'm always polite and receive the gifts. You cannot imagine the things my wife and I have accumulated and at our age trying to downsize is quite an interesting 
uh, challenge bringing seemingly tension uh, on our marriage. But anyway, <laughs> I, I really would appreciate if you would each take at least 10 books. There's 10 books that we've done. Uh, we sent here by the hundreds of copies. Uh, that includes Gospels of John. That's sort of a bonus. And I'll be sharing my story in a moment, how God used the Gospel of John to bring me to himself. We'd like you to pick up Roy Hessian's uh, brilliant book, Following Up on Calvary Road, uh, We Would See Jesus, a Christian classic that God has so greatly used. We'd like you to pick up Randy Alcorn's Purity Principle. If you already have this, pick it up to give it to someone else. Because you and I know that moral impurity is an epidemic in our nation. And many of the leaders that I've been involved with counseling over these 60 years of ministry, many of them struggled in this area. And they shared often with me sometimes things they never shared with anyone because they knew I had the same struggle. And how I celebrate this little book, Purity uh, Principle. I hope you'll pick up my own book, the only book of my eight or nine books that is all about missions, but it's combining the challenge of missions with the message of radical grace. And the chapter on leadership actually is published in a separate book now, Out of the Comfort Zone. These are a gift. The most influential book in my life in the last 10 years is this little book. It was originally a book called True Grit. But as she revised it, it got rather large. And so I pulled out sort of the, the strong stuff from the book True Grit about women and what they're suffering. This book helped change my life and it helped change our whole movement to bring that great marriage of social action together with proclamation and church planting. Please pick up this great book. Our movement sometimes and uh, we were largely a European movement, but then later on spread in the States. Uh, but sort of people got to know us as a revolution of love. This is one of my earlier books, and I'd be so encouraged if you would just pick that up. One of the greatest mistakes I made in my life, so busy trying to evangelize the whole world, was I never did anything about the unborn. And that all changed about 14 years ago. And I've had the privilege of often sharing in nations where this subject is never mentioned from the pulpit, of sharing uh, about the unborn. Many people who believe in abortion are actually saying today it's going too far, especially in India and China. A whole book, a secular book has been written. Where are all the brides? Millions of women are missing from men. That is in turn increasing the global sex trade market something else I'm involved with. So please pick up Randy Alcorn's book, even if you already have it, perhaps to pass on uh, to someone else. That same author of uh, SOS has written a, a more easy to read book about answers to prayer and some amazing things that have been going on in Operation Mobilization. And then uh, the hardest book that I've ever tried to distribute is this book, AIDS Action. 32 million people have HIV or HIV AIDS. It's still an epidemic in the world today. And the body of Christ globally is one of the most active movements. It's completely changed in 10 years to help people who have HIV. And again, God changed me and enabled me to get involved 
in global HIV AIDS prevention and reaching people with AIDS before they pass into eternity. Pick this book up, even if you just look at the cover. Some of the books have helped me the most. Uh, I've mainly only looked at the cover. I'm a little bit busy. My favorite is Erwin uh, Lutzer, the pastor of Moody Church for many decades. His brilliant book, Failure, The Back Door to Success, sort of the story of my life. It just so moved me and touched me. I, I never did read it, but the cover was just so powerful. So even if you just look at that cover, uh, we hope that you will take those books, take a whole box, give some of them out to your staff. There's another table I'll talk about in the morning. The books on that table, we have to have a donation. But we'll not be beat by these little dollar shops that are all over the place, family dollar and dollar dollar and whoever dollar. And uh, so at our donation table, that includes my book, Messiology, which is sort of my textbook for these three days, and the film of my life story. Even if you leave 99 cents, um, we're more than happy. And so we hope that you'll take advantage of this and bless some of your staff members and give them greetings. We celebrate 58 years of working with conservative Baptist churches across this nation. And many who participated in OM uh, came from your churches. Of course, people now that have gone on before you. And we thank you. I've uh, never known exactly what I am in terms of all this, but I married a Baptist. And I uh, thank the Lord for 57 uh, great years with that amazing woman. I wish she could be with me. Her health is not so good anymore. She's not traveling so much but she still puts a good eight hours in the office, which is a huge blessing because in London, England, where we live, it would be about $50,000 a year to hire somebody to do what she's doing. So I have a really valuable wife and I thank the Lord that um, I called her today and she's plodding on. I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter nine. I felt that to start my series with you and I consider it a great honor uh, to have this opportunity that I would share a little bit of my own story, which has several messages. Everything, any story I tell, I can assure you has some kind of message. And so I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 9, where we see verse 35. The Lord Jesus going into all the towns and villages. And then we see his motivation. He was moved or he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. One of the greatest struggles I have with God's chosen frozen, I mean with God's people, is that many are no longer, some of course never did, sharing their faith, getting involved out in evangelism or sharing their faith, even in the most indirect laid back form. And I just think this verse 35 is a verse that all of you should be sharing with your congregations and any meeting like this, 2 Timothy 2, 2 has got to be basic, right? What I share with you is so that you can share with others also. Uh, of course, contextualizing it into your own situation. But the Lord Jesus 
was a person of action. If you've studied the gospel of Mark and compared it with the other three gospels, you see Mark is just all action. And God surely is calling us to action. And this epidemic of introspection that has invaded the American church has, I believe, hindered reaching more men and women with the gospel. I believe there are times to look in. I've read more spiritual life books than probably most of you sitting in this room, but it led me into a form of extremism and unreality that the Holy Spirit had to set me free from. Not that I've rejected most of it, but bringing it into balance and living in the real world. And God has called us into the action. I've heard of pastors that will not even visit people in their congregation. They don't believe that's a gift. Imagine having someone in your congregation who can no longer go to church. They're in a nursing home. They're going to die in a few weeks. And you don't feel it's your gift to visit them. I mean, what planet have we come from? Just even non-Christians reach out to people when they're suffering and they're dying and don't hide behind some professionalism or any other excuse. The Lord Jesus, the Son of God, out in the heat of the villages, loving, healing, and helping people. And then, of course, we get a glimpse. So, the place for looking in comes in the next verse, as we see his motivation. And I learned as a young Christian, and have had the privilege of sitting at the feet of so many great men and women of God, over a hundred at least, that God is concerned about my attitude. God is concerned about my disposition and he's concerned about my motivation. And so this verse is very powerful for me in my ministry. When he saw the multitudes, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I remember one time sharing with a pastor who at least was honest enough to acknowledge that he didn't really like people. He liked theology, and he especially liked preaching. And he got a tremendous buzz when he could preach. And all week, spent huge amounts of time studying theology. If a man does not have a love for people, he does not have the qualification for ministry. We're not talking perfection, because when we fail, when we find we're lukewarm, when we find we're not really loving people, of course we repent. I learned that when I was like only a baby Christian. That's not rocket science to repent and ask God for forgiveness and for the filling of his spirit to have legitimate love and compassion for the people. It's always important for those of us in ministry. And a lot of my ministry was similar to being a pastor. If I hadn't given myself in pastoral care to the people that were uh, joining our movement and especially the leadership then I know we would have never gone forward. But moving on, we get suddenly a quick change and we have the Lord Jesus speaking these words. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You know, by the very fact that I'm known as a missionary speaker, many, many doors are closed, especially in bigger churches. I'm sure you know that quite a few large churches now actually boast that they will not send out an American missionary. What a sad state of affairs 
when any biblical church said they will not send out a missionary because they're American, because they're, uh, you know, from their own church. And we know, of course, it's quite expensive, isn't it, to send out missionaries from your own church and families are involved. It can get messy. It can get complicated. And I just celebrate your movement and the way you have kept the balance between local impact, which, of course, is a huge part of your daily work, but also your vision for sending out workers. And I'm looking forward to seeing that globe out there and all those little tags put in the places where they're workers. We've met many of them all over the world and quite a few who, because OM is initially a training movement, it did evolve into many other things, especially church planting in the Muslim world. But of the 200,000 who have served uh, with Operation Mobilization, uh, there's only 7,000 of us that are actually on OM today counting our unique work in India. These words are especially important to me because I'm here, humanly speaking, because of a praying woman. I'm not from a Christian home. My grandfather from the Netherlands was an atheist. My father wasn't a believer. My other grandfather, he was uh, Scottish, Irish, and English mixed. I think that's basically toxic. He was a drunk and alcoholic. My grandmother divorced him. But despite that rather negative legacy, I had an incredibly uh, happy childhood. I don't remember any unhappy days. And so at 15 or 16, with lots of girlfriends in my own business, about to be elected president of the student council, giant ego, you know, I didn't need Jesus. I had religion. There was a little, uh, there was a church in my hometown uh, that decided the Bible wasn't the word of God, but Christianity, they believe, was part of our culture. And uh, I'm sure some of them had sincere faith. And so, and there was lots of the pretty girls in town were going to that church. And so I got involved in church. I became president of the youth fellowship. I became the assistant to the pastor. I called it the blind leading the blind club. And I didn't know Jesus. And I was living a dark life as I was about to slip into the world of pornography and had learned other things we don't need to talk about. But I was incredibly happy, especially making money. I had my own little company when I was only 16, Bergen County Sales Corporation, Northern New Jersey, selling this red hot fire extinguisher. This microphone reminds me of that Presto fire extinguisher. And, um, I'd light gasoline fires in front of people's houses, mainly women, and put them out and share with them how quickly the kitchen fire would destroy their beautiful house. These things were selling like hotcakes, and I soon had 200 people uh, part-time part selling with me, making quite a lot of money. Um, it did turn out to be a toxic liquid, but I was out of it by then. So I really, I was a happy camper. And uh, it all changed through one woman, a woman of prayer. I sometimes, when I speak at these big youth rallies, I tell, tell the young people, I shouldn't tell them this. I said, look, if you want to continue living your selfish life, just avoid these women of prayer. Don't sit next to them in church. And don't let them get your name. This lady got my name. She put my name on her Holy Ghost hit list. She not only prayed that I would become a Christian, she specifically prayed that I would become a missionary. I didn't know this woman. Lord, send him. You know, I thought probably 
she didn't want me around anymore. And then she sent me a Gospel of John. And we hope you'll pick up a few dozen of these. They come actually from a wonderful family here in Oregon, down in Glide. Provide these free of charge. And I just uh, began to read that little Gospel of John. At that same time, and I believe in a real devil and the evil forces, pornography came into my life as a young man. It just blew my circuits. I didn't know such magazines existed. And in those days, these were just simple girly magazines. Nothing to ne next to what's pouring through the telephones, laptops, and tablets of this generation and every generation that's living in the world today. And as I began to read this little gospel of John, the Holy Spirit broke into my heart. I'd sometimes come home from a nightclub in New York City and uh, read because I'd promised to read it and read one verse. But a lot of the verses in this particular gospel were underlined, the verses that led to salvation. And God used his word to break into my heart. Then in his mercy, he sent Billy Graham to New York City. We're talking now a long time ago, March 3rd, 1955. Not 57, the famous campaign where tens of thousands came to Jesus. This was two years when Billy was just touched, just testing. He came as a guest speaker for a guy named Jack Wurston, a converted band leader who founded the whole Word of Life camp movement. And because of the proactive business person, and I want to encourage you in your churches to encourage business people. They're often sometimes considered second-class citizens. I think of a business friend from uh, just north of here, and some friend told him that maybe later on in his life he could get into ministry. Business can be ministry. Business and missions is one of the fastest growing aspects of global mission work today. And I, again, am probably here because of a business person who was proactive in hiring a bus and taking people into the center. I live just outside New York City, taking us into Manhattan. I like free things. I hardly knew what Billy Graham, what that was. I was told it was extreme emotionalism. I was told, you know, he was a hypnotist. And so in God's mercy, uh, with this girl, I thought maybe she could use some hot religion. Uh, I went in. I sat as far away as I could. Madison Square Garden, New York City, 20,000 people there. And I had my binoculars to see, you know, what kind of what Billy Graham was doing. And I heard the gospel. For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I hope every one of you are still preaching the gospel, making it clear. Even when you're mainly ministering to the Lord's people, there can often be someone there who doesn't yet know Jesus personally. I've just recently come from a large meeting down in Costa Rica. It was a missions meeting. These are all young people already keen on missions. But in my opening message, I felt led to just bring the gospel through John 3.16. The next day, three people dressed like Roma people in Europe, like gypsy people of Europe, they came running after me. And I, they stopped and they just thanked me as they pointed to this man. I think he was the husband of the woman and said he 
gave his life to Jesus in the meeting last night. They've been praying for him for many, many years. They were from a little tribal group over, I believe, in Honduras, a neighboring country. I remember meeting a woman who had become a doctor, and she was sitting in a meeting of the medical Christian Medical Association in the UK. I was speaking at their annual conference. Again, it was for believers. And yet years later, she told me when she stood to recommit her life, which is what I was calling for in my invitation, somehow that's when Jesus saved her. Praise God for the power of the gospel. He saved me March 3rd, 1955. And I give you no exaggeration. He sent me the same night. And I've never had a single day. And I'm a real old geezer. That's what they call guys like me in London, but then they give me a free pass for unlimited travel free of charge throughout the nation. People keep wondering when I'm coming back because my son moved to Idaho and uh, I just tell my British friends, really, I'm not going back. God has called me to stay in Europe and we now, he put a tunnel in just for me so I didn't have to keep paying so much money on a ferry, but now I discovered it costs more to go through the tunnel. I told another British friend, why would I return to America? I can die and get buried here in London at half price compared to New York City. <laughs> By the way, God is doing way more in Britain than most of us here in America realize. We are seeing tens of thousands come to Christ in Britain. We have hundreds and hundreds of new churches. Americans always like to come back and tell about a church they saw that was closed or it became a furniture shop. I got 52 years in Britain praying that some of these churches would close because they turned away from the word of God. And those churches are more of a hindrance than a help in terms of reaching people with the gospel. And I just celebrate what God is doing, and especially through our queen, who's so almost fanatically committed to Jesus Christ and a new book of her faith. Uh, a million copies went out just like that presenting the gospel across the nation. But I want to go to that next verse as we run out of time. By the way, that's another reason people don't invite me. The word is out as I speak too long. That is when I was younger. So I stick to my time now. But I remember being in Germany especially. It was one of my favorite countries. It's in my top 50 nations. And I was there in Germany and uh, it was mainly young people. They were all listening really well, but one older man, he wanted to close me down. And so he took his watch off and he's waving his watch at me. I was preaching about missions and discipleship, the need to give, the need to go. And I saw this watch. I stopped the meeting. I said, folks, look at this man. God's touched his heart. He's donating his watch to world missions. <laughs> I don't know whatever happened to him, actually. But I'm going to stick to my time because I have another shot at you uh, tomorrow. <laughs> the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. That's what that woman prayed, and God heard her prayers. And there are people in your church like that woman, maybe a man, and I hope you encourage them. One of the greatest things you can do in ministry is affirm and encourage people. There are some people in our churches, they go from month after month, especially behind the scene people, and people don't affirm them. They don't encourage them. But when they do something wrong, oh, 
then they hear. The greatest mistake I made with my own children was not affirming them enough. I was quick to correct my children, quick to give them Bible verses. And I just thank the Lord that he's so merciful because I certainly failed. I feel many times as a father. Preachers don't make naturally good fathers because they're not good listeners. I wonder how many of you men are really good listeners from one to 10, especially listening carefully to your wife at all times. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand and get depressed as I have in too many meetings, but I speak as someone who's failed and hurt my wife many times through just being in the fast lane. And I remember one time she was going on about something and I wasn't really interested and I was trying to give the idea, I was paying attention and, and she said, are you listening to me? Of course, ego locked in. Oh, of course, honey, you're my wife. I love you, I'm listening to you. And then she said, well, what did I say? I felt that was really unfair to go into detail. Please pray that in my final years of marriage that somehow I might do better because the senior years are very important. Pray the Lord of the harvest. He'll send forth workers. Do you know there's at least 40 nations that have less than 2% of the witness of where I live in London, England? London's a pretty big mission field. We've got a million Muslims we only have maybe eight or nine percent who go to church and they're not all people who know Jesus. So what are we going to do about those 40 nations? And I would ask you when you leave this evening to please uh, at the doors, different doors, we've put this packet just with a little introductory material about OM and one of my other books as a gift because I'm not going to be saying much about Operation Mobilization. But we really would love to have the opportunity to help train some of your young people, and maybe not so young. Uh, our ship now is a much bigger ship than our other ship. This is our fourth ship. This is a training ship for young people. I believe it's one of the greatest training programs in the world. My own grandson from Idaho had his life radically changed being on that ship, and then God gave him a premium when he finished of a Swiss wife, and now I have a Swiss great-granddaughter and another Swiss, who knows what type, uh, coming down the road. Pray for the ship. It's in the Caribbean right now. It's actually in dry dock. This is a ministry that was laughed at when I first launched it 45 years ago. I don't find anybody laughing anymore. 45 years of ministry. 100 million people given the gospel. 45 million up the gangway. Dozens and dozens of ministries and churches born as a result of someone making a recommitment or catching a vision on the ship. One woman prayed. One, and you'll discover more of that in the next couple days, needy, struggling high school kid comes to Jesus. God opened the door a year later after I finished in that high school to come back during Christmas break. I found out that lady had been praying for some 20 or 30 years for revival to come to that high school. And I was one of God's instruments to cause it to happen. In one meeting alone, hundreds came to hear my story. I shared the gospel. In fear and trembling, I gave an invitation. And 125 of my fellow students in that ungodly high school stood to believe on Jesus, including my own father. 
I'm wise enough to know they weren't all necessarily converted to Jesus Christ at that time. But it was a great move of the Holy Spirit. He wants to move in our high schools. He wants to move in our universities. But it's going to take a lot of prayer. It's going to take a lot of wisdom. We're dealing with a new generation where there has to be a lot more listening before we can often bring in the message. The prejudice against the gospel in America has jumped up another 20% just in the last six months. This is surely the messiest time in the history of our country since the Civil War. But we're going to see in the next couple of days, and also if you can read my book, God often does greater things in the midst of messy situations. And I believe it's harvest time in America. We know the harvest has been going on all along. And I pray you'll go from here with a fresh anointing to see an impact in local institutions, to see an impact among youth, and to see a greater harvest of them come to Jesus. What a challenge we have from this beautiful picture of our Lord Jesus. In the next couple of days, I'll share a little more about the struggles as a young Christian, not knowing what I got into. One of the first things was someone telling me, no more kissing. Kissing was one of my main recreations. I was a kissing Pharisee. I wasn't, I wasn't going to, to bed with my girlfriend like many of my friends. They were having sex, boasting about it. And I thought I'm better than that. I'm, you know, I'm just kissing up a storm. And, and then, uh, you know, I needed a verse, thou shall not kiss. And I never found it. In fact, I found a verse in the Old Testament where there was some kissing going on. So I kept kissing every girl available. Quite a few were not available. I remember especially leading a girl to Jesus and celebrating by kissing her for the next half hour. So I had a lot of struggles. And then I met another guy. He said, uh, now that you're a believer in Jesus, no more dancing. What? Billy Graham didn't say anything about that in the message. Dancing was just a major part of my life. And uh, I had a lot of struggles. And then I didn't get total victory over the pornography thing. And when you fail in that area as a young idealistic kid, you just feel so bad. You feel like such a scumball. How could God ever use me? But you know, God uses us in the midst of our struggles and weaknesses. Of course we want to grow. Of course we want to be stronger. But we must not allow our failures and weaknesses or our sin to discourage us in our ministry. We must bounce back in the name of the Lord. And if a weak, struggling New Jersey, New York City loudmouth somehow can bounce back every day and run the race every day for 62 years, I don't think any of you have an excuse. And I just believe God has put me here. I can't take so many meetings in the United States now. I believe God has put me here to bring you this challenge. He wants to use you in a greater way in the coming year. God bless you. Amen.